Demir's Ambulances is one of the largest, most trusted ambulance design and manufacturers in the world, with a vision to build safe, reliable, and efficient emergency vehicles to assist paramedics in saving lives. Demir's manufactures Type 1, 2, and 3 emergency medical and fire ambulances that set the bar for quality, innovation, attention to detail, and rigorous testing. To find a Demir's Ambulance Dealer in your region, visit www.demirs-ambulances.com. Your partner on the road, every day, on every call. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at WAVE 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E dot com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This fire engineering podcast is made possible by Tenkata Protective Fabrics. The global leader in flame-resistant fabrics, Tenkata Protective Fabrics enables millions of people worldwide to be great at what they do. Generations of industry professionals serving in the fire service, industrial, and military industries rely on Tenkata Fabrics for safety, comfort, and confidence. From the harshest working conditions to the welcoming sight of home, Tenkata recognizes the people they're protecting are unique individuals whose lives extend beyond work. Supporting a world of evolving needs, Tenkata's innovations lead the way in user-centric design, technology, and sustainability around the globe. To learn more, please visit TenkataFabrics.com. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to Fire Engineering Hump Day Hangout uh, with Traditions Training. It's uh, going to be a good afternoon. Uh, we got the new boss man on on the uh, call today, uh, Chief Rose, and we got uh, Josh and Sam from Traditions Training, and uh, we'll have that discussion. But uh, hey, you know, it's getting to be that time of the year. Uh, we only got about a month, uh, maybe two months now to we all get together at FDIC, and uh, obviously uh, every time around this time of the year, we want to hear what's going on with the FDIC and we got the main man that's in charge of that now, Chief Rhodes. So, Chief, what's uh, what's going on this year? Well, um, great news. Our registration is is really tracking well, so it looks like we're going to be uh, heading back to pre-COVID levels. So the the true gathering of the brethren will be back in its full uh, full glory uh, for the uh, for the ceremonies and for the after hour festivities. So, looking forward to that. Um, we've got a really special um, FDIC after hours on Wednesday at, at 530, which is typically 
Bobby, Bobby Halton, Salka, Lasky, Bill Gustin, and that whole two-hour block is going to be dedicated to a Bobby Halton tribute. Um, obviously, Bobby had a very private uh, family service with just a few uh, friends who were able to attend. And so this is an opportunity for the whole fire engineering FDIC community that, that didn't get to participate in that to, to participate in a, in a very nice, um, it'll be some pageantry and traditional stuff, but it's more of a tribute than it is a memorial, I would say. Um, we're going to have about 30 speakers telling their favorite uh, Bobby Halton stories. Um, we've asked people to post their favorite picture with Bobby Halton on any social media and just ha hashtag um, Halton tribute and uh, Pete will pull those off. And so we'll be showing those during the ceremony. If you have any kind of comments about Bobby that we might put up on the screen, um, you know, you can hashtag Halton tribute to any social media and we'll pull those. So we're trying to make it a fully immersive where even if you're not on the speaker list, somehow you get to participate, um, participate in it. And other than that, all the regular FDIC stuff, looking forward to opening ceremonies and getting that done, getting all our awards done. Um, we've got uh, um, Chief Sheridan from FDNY keynoting on Wednesday. And then we got Brian Brush and Brian Zates on uh, Thursday. So looking forward to it, it's looking great. So, Chief, I was mentioning the other day, I was out, we were out doing a class and, uh, you know, somebody was expressing their condolences because they knew how um, uh, good traditions training was with with Bobby. And, you know, I said, hey, we got a great, you know, you know, great new guy coming in, you know, Chief Rhodes. And, and you know, and, and I've known you for a while and uh, you're, uh, you're 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 the epitome of low key. And, um, you know, so I guess for the people that don't know you kind of what, like what's the background in your fire service background because i mean i mean I, I know it but i don't think a lot of people know know your background there i don't mean to put you on the spot no, that's no problem um i actually started in 1985 as a volunteer with the conyers fire department a one station atlanta suburb with 25 guys uh i volunteered for about three months before they hired me full-time and i worked there uh for five years and uh, as a firefighter and and of course everybody did everything in the small department so I was a driver and firefighter and seat rider when I needed to be um, consolidated with the county department in Rockdale uh, for and I was there for about a year and a half and then I went to the Atlanta fire department in 1992 I did 30 years there uh, the last 17 as a battalion chief and uh, I've done, I was special ops chief, and then I worked in four of the six battalions and did a couple of admin tours and community risk reduction and a couple other places for a year here and there. Um, I've been involved in the Georgia Smoke Diver uh, program since 1986, and I've been in charge of that program since 1995. And uh, we've branched that out. Most people have have seen we have a, a chapter in indiana and oklahoma currently working on idaho and colorado so that's expanding and then i've been working uh behind scenes at fdic for 25 years uh and started out as a hands-on training instructor doing special ops uh confined space rope rescue and then worked uh up into doing logistics for all hot and then all the way to doing 
coordinating all the height training. Um, so I know all the height instructors over the years did the keynote at FDIC in 2000, I believe it was either 99 or 2000. Um, was part of the whole Atlanta Matt Mosley crane rescue um, bill that was one of the first big rescues broadcast live on TV. It was a little before the social media cell phone craze uh, took off, but uh, it was broadcast pretty much every news station in the country interrupted. And so, so we talked about that and uh, we got a lot done. Did eight years as union president in Atlanta. Um, so I wear a hat now. Lost all my hair during that time. Um, and got a lot of things, uh, you know, at the time I was union president, our big focus was on, on equipment and safety issues. Um, we had the normal pay and benefit stuff too, but basically we were, we were doing the job of the fire chief and trying to get fire trucks and equipment, breathing apparatus and all that stuff. So, uh, that was an eight year eight-year process, and I retired a year and a half ago and then went to work full-time with Bobby as his right-hand man uh, in August. Um, the goal was he was going to do a, a two-year transition and start handing stuff over to me and become an advisor, and of course, um, he passed away December 19th, which was about four or five months in, and uh, basically uh it was tag you're it and uh i have had some people uh say well how in the world did you end up in the being the editor-in-chief of fire engineering and about the only way i can uh describe it is watch the movie forrest gump and all the things that happened to him along the way and that's pretty much it <laughs> just happened uh -huh. to be at the right place at the right time and roll along and uh um, I, I had a lot of really good mentors that opened a lot of doors for me. And uh, that's going to sort of be my payback in the role is I want to do the same thing for others. Well, I mean, all, all those years in Atlanta, you probably didn't go to a fire. So um, I went to a couple. Where you get all this experience from. <laughs> I went to a couple. I had a really good, I had a really good run, uh, especially as a battalion chief, um, pretty good as a firefighter. I was a firefighter and a driver at station two out in Lakewood, uh, uh, drove the tiller, tiller out there. And we were, we were probably second busiest at the time, um, as far as stations there. And then, uh, when I made battalion chief, I went to a battalion right outside of downtown. So I got all of the house, all of the house fires and apartment fires, on on the northwest side of town and i did have the busiest uh company in the in the battalion but uh i had a good time as a battalion chief i loved the challenge of incident command and of course atlanta is a major urban area you had high-rise warehouse rail yards uh we had it all so uh there's nothing like there's nothing like working in the urban environment you tell the stories and people look at you like you're crazy but uh it's you never you know, you never know when you're going to pull up on the scene of a car into a building that is actually part of a crime that was a man catching a, a, a woman with another man in a house during a drug deal um, while there was a tornado and a hazmat incident <laughs> on the other side of the house. And you just, you know, you don't get that everywhere. And it's, uh, it's kind of fun. I, I almost 
decided to retire the morning after uh, the latest rounds of, uh, of riots and civil unrest. Um, that was probably one of the best shifts of my life uh, in, a, in a sick way, obviously. Nobody wants to see that happen in the community, but um, it was exhilarating, challenging, and uh, um, an incredible night going to back to back to back to back structure fires that included, you know, uh, big box stores, restaurants, vehicles. Uh, I think it was like eight or nine back to back to back with all our trucks destroyed. And in a sick way, uh, I guess we're all somewhat junkies for that excitement and challenge. It was the first time I'd ever commanded a fire surrounded by a hundred uh, riot police and tear gas flying over my head. And uh, I have a couple, I have a couple 40 cal shells that actually were ejected and went in my, went in my collar from a, from a participant in the civil unrest. So uh, okay. <laughs> fun times. I, I knew I could never top that shift. But uh, I decided to stay on a little while anyway. And once I realized that I wasn't going to top it, then I went ahead and left. <laughs> there you go. So now, you know, for all those people to follow the show and follow traditions and fire engineering, now you see that mustache in the hallway. Now you get to stop him and take a selfie with him all the time. And, uh, you know, and I don't know about this thing on Wednesday. I think Bobby's going to be pretty disappointed if full isn't full of pageantry oh, and yelling and screaming and we're gonna have we're gonna have the full bagpipe squadrons and the honor guards and it's it's gonna be a little bit of both but uh yeah right. I, I i i will pledge not to scream at anybody during opening ceremonies so. <laughs> something i gave bobby a hard time about even though i never got to attend i, I saw some replays and i'd be like hey man take it down a little bit he's like no 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 i gotta raise it up a little bit his son even told me, he goes, yeah, I told dad he needed to tone that down a little bit. <laughs> All right. So um, to get to uh, go with our topic today, um, I, I got Josh and Sam on and uh, uh, Sam invited Chief Rose, thankfully. Um, so he can give, you know, there's a little bit of his chief perspective, uh, perspective of it is that uh, one of the things that I, I've been contemplating here lately and and uh, having some problems with is uh, how we, how is a fire service on all different kinds of levels that we digest the information that we get from fires, um, regardless if it's a historical fire, if it's a fire that happened a year ago, or it's a fire that happened an hour ago, how we take the information, how we take, um, you know, there's no other way to put it, the, the mistakes that we make on a fire, because look, there, there is no fire department or there is no company that is perfect. Um, there, you know, the, the fire is too dynamic. The buildings are too dynamic. You know, how we arrive on the scene, you know, what we have to do and what we have to deal with is Dan Shaw will tell you, the fire always gets a vote. And, you know, whatever policy procedure, um, the way that you deploy your apparatus to the fire ground, the way you put people in the task oriented positions on your fire ground, some way or another, something's going to get, get messed up. Um, and that could be, you know, I, I don't think any lieutenant or captain or firefighter does anything malicious on a fire ground to make the, the fire ground go bad. But, there, you know, th things happen. It could be a water supply issue. It could be, you know, the company is did not go to the right position on the fire ground. Um, you know, once, you know, that's the stuff that me as the chief, I focus for 
on the outside of the building. You know, when Josh and Sam, you know, take their crews and are doing their tactical assignments inside the building, you know, the, the mistakes and the miscues, um, maybe it's an education piece. Um, maybe it's just the, the volume of things that are happening inside that building. You know, everything doesn't always happen perfect inside the building also. So, you know, after that fires out, um, you know, for lack of a better term, this, there, there's so much information that can be gained. Just, you know, if you have five or six companies there, the, the information that can be gained from, hey, company one did this, you know, let's do this better, you know, identifying them and having some kind of plan to work through them rather than glossing them over or, you know, not even addressing them at all. Um, and that becoming a culture. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if company one does something, makes a miscue and, and Sammy, please give me a correct word. If I make screw one up, you know, if you make a miscue, if you have a failure on your, in your position or, or how your company operates, you know, there, there, somebody's gotta be there and say, Hey, look, this has to be done. So if engine one did it, and nothing gets done to engine one. And it doesn't have to be discipline and anything like that. If we don't identify it, we don't have a discussion about it, then engine two, three, and four, truck one and truck two think, I guess that's okay um, because nobody's saying anything, you know, either whether it be the, the incident commander, the company officer, you know, if, if nobody's doing anything about it, then it's going to become the way we do business each and every time. It's, it's error creep. You know, so I mean, we see an error on the fire ground, we don't do anything about it, and it becomes the norm. So uh, there's been some really uh, great reports uh, done on firefighters line of duty deaths in, in, in our area that, you know, my, me and Josh are in, or Josh and I are in, and, you know, obviously they're read all across the country. And as tragic as those fires are, and how neither department would want that to happen, is that there had there's probably 15 fires before this tragic fire where we had learning moments where we had the ability to capture you know uh, things that are probably in this report you know both reports that say hey you know we had this operational issue we had that operational issue you know and how many times did we have that before this tragic event that we didn't correct or we didn't properly correct um, so. You know, I, I, I kind of lay that out and I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, Chief Resume, is there something, do you, you get what I'm saying? Is there something in the Chief area that you want to discuss before I turn it over to Josh and Sam? Um, no, I think that's, uh, anytime you're looking at post-incident action, um, and I think you're headed in the, in the immediate, like hot wash, tailboard critique, area which to me is the most important and uh you know there's a there's a psychological phenomenon that happens to everybody um called hindsight bias and so the longer you go without reviewing the incident the more the facts change and the more your mind fills in the blanks and it's it's not malicious it is absolutely a natural phenomenon so one of the things that i focused on as the chief and it's hard to do because, uh, as we were talking about pre-show, uh, it's easy to call everybody an idiot that you did this wrong. And I had to step back from that. Even though I saw something, I was like, why in the world did they go there and do that? Instead of 
dressing them down for doing that. What I really had to do as the chief was I had to find out what they saw and why they made the decision that they made to do what they did. And sometimes it surprises you because you're coming in after the fact and you're looking at the end result. And you may find out that although you want to call them an idiot for doing what they were doing, what they saw and the information they had, you might have done the same thing. And so it's not always what they did that's important. It's why they did what they did. And I think if you do a walkthrough after an incident, um, I always like to just put everybody in place and say, let's walk through. You got here first. What did you see? What did you do? And we didn't talk about anything that was wrong until afterwards. And then we would say, okay, now knowing what we know, what would you have done different? And then we replay it again. And that's the way you learn. But uh, there is a danger of making it punitive and making everybody feel like they're stupid. And sometimes, sometimes they are, Sam. We know that sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people uh, just totally make the wrong call, but we really have to investigate why they made the call they made because it may surprise us when we find out what they were seeing and, and what they were. And no matter what people say about training and situational awareness, uh, your situational awareness is what it is when you get there. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a combination of all your prior experiences and your education and your knowledge, but it is what it is. And uh, and so when you say maintain situational awareness, that's kind of like <laughs> it is what it is, <laughs> you know. So, but that's my take on it. I'll turn it back so, over. Yes. Yeah, so I kind of want to go is. So I mean, we, we look at this house fire, you know, we go to this house fire, you know, you know, there's, let's say there's no injuries, there's no tragic event, you know, maybe we had a couple rooms off, um, there may have been some, some missteps along the way or miscues or, you know, even the guys knocked it out of the park, you know, the guys and gals knocked it out of the park. I mean, it, it, there's always something we got to, you know, it's not, I always say I'm never going to be satisfied. So we're always going to find something we can do better. And then when we come to have that critique, like Chief Rhodes was saying, is that, you know, at, for mine, it would be after the fire, you know, everybody's kind of around, you know, I got, you know, jo if, if I was lucky enough to be a chief with Josh and Sammy as company officers, you know, we'd all be standing around, you know, all right, you know, Josh, what did your company do? Sammy, what did your, you know, what did your uh, engine company do? Oh, no, Sammy wouldn't be on an engine. I'm sorry. You'd have, Sammy'd have to be on a, a truck or a rescue. But, you know, I, I'm going to point out these, these, these issues that I saw. So as a company officer, and we'll start with Josh and I'll go to Sam is that, you know, I, I give you that what, you know, one is that how do you receive that? Uh, especially in a, in an atmosphere where you have all your peers around you. And then, you know, what's the feedback that, you know, you give the incident commander that's talking to you. And then how do you translate that back to your crew? Yeah, good question. I think first and foremost, it, it, it's a healthy dose of uh, humility, right? Like if, if the fire chief is coming to me and giving me true, good, honest feedback, um, I think that's one of the hardest things to do, not just in the fire service, but just life in general. For somebody to give you like true, genuine, honest feedback, that's one of the hardest things people can do. And it's not done enough. So if a fire chief is coming to me or battalion chief and he's got, hey, man, you could have really improved on that. 
if for nothing else, I know that that was hard for that person to come to me and say that. And I need to have the humility to be like, you know what? It took a lot for that person to, to, to pull me up and to give me that feedback. So I need to be genuine in return and actually do something with that information. Um, commonly, you know, two things I see are you, you have the per person that's kind of flippant with it or they're performative. What I mean by performative is they're going to do it for show. Like, like, okay, yeah, thanks chief. And they're going to say the right things. They're going to do the right things. Hey, I read this from a book. And, uh, but at the end of the day, they don't actually believe in it. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Um, but because it's disingenuous, most people can see right through that BS. So the other side of it is that I just have to take ownership, right? So I have to take ownership. I've let it sink in. And I don't mean to be too courty here, but like, if not me, then who? Like I'm the company captain. I need to go to my people and say, hey, listen, this is on us. And this is what we do to make it right. And when the battalion chief sees that we're working on you know, trying to correct that issue, through training, through experience, through holding our people accountable, me as the captain having crystal clear expectations of the, the fire ground and what I expect of my people and out of myself, we can take, take care of a lot of these downstream issues in the first place and get out in front of it with that, as Roger would say, that upfront investment. Um, but yeah, I just have to take ownership of it and genuinely do the things that are going to rectify the issue and make sure they don't happen again. Because Mistakes are going to happen. We need to have enough grace with our people to know that, okay, these things are going to happen. Like you said, we're not perfect. Let's go ahead and fix it. If I make a mistake a second of time, the same mistake, that's an issue. And that means I was not genuine about it. I was being performative. And uh, then that's when the accountability and maybe punishment does come into play. But if we can remove the fear of punishment, hold people accountable, um, take ownership of ourselves, like, so I, I got some questions for Josh, but I'm going to let Sammy chime in here. It's uh, been a little bit, just, you know, there's a, a fire about two blocks from my house where I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm a little distracted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go That's ahead, Sammy. <laughs> um, no, I mean, we, we already covered a lot of things. Um, I, I'll just uh, say this uh, to, to a point you made earlier, uh, as far as we, we have to address them, uh, emulation is uh, stronger than policy. Uh, I, I genuinely believe that uh, the crews will emulate successes, um, but they can't recite the policies to you. So if they see something successful, they'll, they'll try to repeat it. And if they see something unsuccessful, they'll try to avoid it. Uh, I can speak for myself. It's not uncommon for me to just walk up to the incident commander um, as soon as we come out of the house and apologize, um, address it right then and there. And then when we get to that critique with the incident commander and the way we do it is with company officers only, and then the company officers take that back and deliver it to their, to their personnel. Uh, I think that's very valuable. If you do it just among peers, then that's where you get into the arguments and the um, offensiveness and fights, whereas you address it, you own it. Um, the incident commander can make sure everyone else is aware of it and they don't have to try to push it um, down everybody's throats, if uh, that makes sense. Uh, and going back to what Chief Rhodes was also saying is uh, one of the most difficult things uh, to do, especially when we do it in a, uh, in a time compression manner like we do when we do a tailboard critique is to truly understand cause and causation. And, and so that requires asking questions uh, before the assumptions and then trying to put it all together. And he is correct. Sometimes somebody's just an idiot, but other times you can, okay, I, I did not realize that that's what you saw or that's, 
that's what you were told. Um, and cause and causation, to me, is one of the truly most difficult things to understand on the fire ground. I can say that many times I've done something on the fire ground that I thought was beneficial, only to realize that another company was um, doing a functional task that was actually creating the same benefit and possibly in a better way than we were. And those are the kind of facts that change if you wait the shift to do the critique. If you come back to shift after, not, not to say that it's useless, but your mind has filled in so many blanks and you have justified so many moves because you want to be correct that it's almost, it's almost pointless to, to do it that far afterwards because everybody's, everybody's had a chance to think through and justify everything they did. So they come back and it's a totally different incident than it was that day. <laughs> yeah, it was always interesting that uh, when we did after action critiques when I was the op chief is that I go, yeah, that, that's not what happened that day. Where did all this come from? So we actually started making them document company actions uh, in their NIFRS reporting. So then that, that's what we would bring to the critique is go, yeah, this is what you said the day of the fire you did. Now, now it's all changed. You know, how, how did this happen? So uh, that was always an interesting piece. So, so Josh and, and Sammy, so, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in the right front seat of a fire truck. And, you know, I've always been in the Tahoe or the, the command vehicle. So one of the things that I, you know, tried to do is that when we're, when you're in that group, so we have, you know, there's five or six lieutenants and, and captains around there. I mean, is there even some apprehensiveness of admitting your mistake in that group? Or is, should it be that we should all, I mean, obviously we should all be honest and forthright with everything at the fire. But I mean, even in that bit, in that little bit of a group, like six or seven people, um, in your experiences, do you find that, that people posture or, you know, hide, you know, hide information is probably not the right word but uh, don't want to admit mistakes. I mean, am I off base there? Or? Oh, I think you're hundred percent correct. I think uh, shame is a hell of a drug. And so there are a lot of people that uh, that'll, that are going to feel that and they're going to do everything they can to try to avoid that. And that's, I mean, there's some human nature to that for sure. Um, and again, the, on the flip side, the people that know something went wrong, but aren't going to have the hard conversation and give that honest feedback because they're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Um, I think there's too much of that and you can wrap up really hard information in a graceful way. You just have to have a little bit of tact about it, but at the end of the day, you need to get that message across. And if somebody isn't receiving it, well, at a certain point that's on them because the information has to get out there. Um, I just heard like a good leadership snippet the other day where um there was one person in the back of the room just monitoring a leadership discussion with a bunch of CEOs and the guy in the back, who's just monitoring stuff. He's like, raise his hand. Like I have zero idea what this guy's lecturing on. Can you explain that? No, not one single CEO had raised their hand. And then once that one person said, Hey, I don't know. Then all these CEOs started raising their hands. They'd be like, yeah, yeah. That whole thing you lectured on for the last 20 minutes. I had no idea what you're talking about. So sometimes it takes a little bit of bravery to say, yeah, I don't know what happened, or I did see this one thing. And then I'm sure if you're, if one person out of an entire box alarm saw something, somebody probably saw something. And you just have to be brave enough to be like, yeah, I messed this up, or hey, I did see this, and this is how we can improve. And then again, 
having the follow through. That's where we, we talk about having these courageous conversations. That doesn't mean anything if you're not going to have the follow through and the back end investment of making that, that change happen. Ricky, I always used a coaching method. I mean, that's kind of my style anyway, but um, there were some chiefs that were really adamant about you did this wrong and you need to do better and shame on you. But um, I always looked at it as what happened, happened, get past it, learn from it. And I'm, I'm always looking for patterns. So if I, if I pull up and I see your guys are, screwing around there. It takes them forever to get a line stretched and then they're fumbling with their mask and all that stuff. I, I bring that to your attention, but I'm not just hammering you with it. And I'm waiting to see the next time. And if the next time it's the same, then I'm a little bit more aggressive with my critique, but I feel like I owe you the chance like to coach just like a football team or whatever gets in the locker room at halftime has a little pep talk. They make some adjustments I'm looking for you as the company officer to make that adjustment on your own time, not relying on me to come show you how to, how to do it. So the next time I want, I, I want you to feel that you let me down. And if I can, if I can develop that rapport with the companies, then they're wanting to do good and they don't want to let you down. And uh, if you give them that look, just like a parent, you give them that look, your kid knows that, you know, <laughs> man, that wasn't good. I better not do that again. But you, but you also got to build them up when they do good. You know, it can't all be, it can't all be tear down, but, and there's no absolutes. So uh, there are those people that nothing gets through and you just have to start following a policy. You have to start disciplinary action or whatever, but I never did that on a first run. I mean, it was like you had to really prove your reputation that you were not going to change anything before I would ever resort to like a formal write-up or a, or a performance improvement plan on your evaluation or something like that. That would be the last resort. Um, just having the conversation and, and coaching and offering assistance. Do you, do you need help? Is this not your wheelhouse? Do you need, maybe I need to take, maybe I need to take Sam and have his rig run over and do some drills with you because maybe this isn't your wheelhouse. Um, and, and that'll help you out. And it's not me putting the pressure on you to, to perform in a training environment or whatever, but the coaching, I, I love when I see chiefs being the coach instead of just being the chief, you know, yeah, chief, it's kind of like saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. I always did that. Yeah. And I'm like Sam, too. That's what I, I teach in my like HR classes. It's like you really want to take the wind out of a chief sale. If you, if you know you screwed up and, and he's coming to meet with you, you meet him on the ramp and you go, Chief, first of all, I just want to apologize. I know I screwed up and I got all this paperwork I'm ready for you to sign and I'm fixing to hammer you. And as soon as you apologize, I'm like, damn it. Damn it. He's human. He's not just an employee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not trying to make this story time, but that reminds me of uh, the Naval, Navy SEAL sniper school. So they used to uh, make it punitive to get through that school. It used to be where um, if you messed up, there was going to be corrective action taken. If you messed up so many times, you're out. And then what they ended up doing was flipping the script. And they used to, and then what they do is assign a sniper instructor to every student, and it became a team effort. 
So instead of this being a punitive thing, like, hey, yeah, you now it's a one-on-one. Yes, I did mess up, or excuse me, we did mess up, but here's how we're going to correct that. And we're going to do this together hand in hand. And then it's going to be a tell show do. And then once you get to do, then it's going to be crawl, walk, run. We're going to keep increasing the intensity and the stress. And we're going to get you to a place to where hand in hand, we're making this better together. But like you said, at a certain point, it absolutely does may take discipline, but not the first go. Yeah. And that's a small percentage, usually really small percentage. Most people want to do right. Some people don't have the skills and that's what you got to figure out too. All right. Cause I know our organizations aren't perfect. So sometimes our organizations set people up to fail and then we get the back end of it. You know, we get assigned new officers or we get a new battalion and we go in and we see this performance and it's like, yeah, there is some personal responsibility, but there's also some organizational responsibility to have the resources and the right people training and the right policy and all that to make it right. And, and it's, that's a hard balance. You don't want to take out too much on an individual that's suffering from a long-term organizational issue. You just have to change them a little at a time. I'm, I've been there. <laughs> So, Sammy, uh, to go back, I didn't know. Um, so, this we were talking about that group, you know, you know the pressures that you feel when you got those six or seven company officers, and we're having this discussion. In case you uh, forgot the original question, I think uh, I think it comes back to what's already been um, and shared in different words. Is uh, if I can show the chief that I actually care at what he's saying, then he doesn't have to try to care for me. Um. And part of that is I believe that our chiefs know that um, once we have that discussion, they're going to see us walking around. I mean, what a better time to go back and walk through the fire. Um, talk about what you did, why you did it, where uh, tools, a ladder should have been placed or um, what your intention was when you put them in a room to search, um, what the communication is. So when they when they see that, again, if if they know I care, then they don't have to try to care for me then they can just make the point and then they know that that point is going to uh, be passed down to our crew. Um, I used to have a, a captain that would say, if I have to be a captain, it's because you made me. I know what the expectations are. And as long as I do my job and perform and, and listen and make the corrective behavior on my own accord, then he doesn't have to do it for me. So, I mean, this kind of sounds like all, I mean, this is all good information. So what, what if we have a soup sandwich of a fire? I mean, I mean, this is just nothing went right. And, and every one of us on this, on this, on the hump day hangout today has had that fire. I mean, you know, all of us, none of us are immune from it. doesn't matter what size department you're from, what your demographic is, what, you know, what your county's made up of. All of us have had that soup sandwich fire. And then what, you know, what is the tone and what is, you know, how does that get handled at a tailboard critique then? I mean, it's, it's easy to be fine and upstanding when we got a couple rooms off and we had one or two mistakes. When, when we have that soup sandwich fire, which none of us want, but actually happens. I mean, I mean, I would say that takes on a different animal. So Sammy, what's your experience with that, with that type fire? I mean, I know, I know you've been to one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, this is a good thing in our department that I can say that, um, when we end up going defensive on a fire, that's when things get nasty. 
Um, and like I said, I, I think that that's a, a good thing in the sense that we have guys that care about um, getting the job done. Uh, it becomes a negative thing when we start to go after each other, uh, which can happen. And as soon as that starts to happen, then you're going to uh, get defensive posturing. Um, you're no longer receptive to what you're hearing. And I, I think in those cases, sometimes it is better to say, okay, tell me what you did. Uh, tell me why you did it. Uh, like you guys were saying, um, get it out that day and then table it and, and let people go back and, and digest some things. Otherwise, you're going to uh, hit a point where you're not productive and you're creating more damage than benefit. And the whole purpose of the tail board is to ultimately identify deficiencies in a beneficial manner and something that benefits you in the future alarms. And Josh? Yeah, yeah I completely agree. Well, obviously with everything Sam said. And then, um, yeah, just give permission for the hard feedback. Um, I think if the battalion chief gives the line officers the opportunity to speak and get it out first, I think that really empowers them. Sometimes the chief will start going down one road and it can flip the conversation or it's easier for the line officers to kind of hide behind a couple of things or it'll change minds a little too quick. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, you're trying to come up with a solution and, and if you have the highest ranking person there come in and be like, I think we should do this. And then all of a sudden everybody toes the line and goes that route with it. So if you can empower those line officers to speak first, you know, air the dirty laundry, but obviously in a respectful and productive way, you know, facts, not feelings, maybe in this, in this type of instance, um, get that out first, make it productive. And uh, yeah, I think Sam really hit the nail on the head at a certain point, there's probably diminishing returns. And so, you know, get out the core content, get out the, the most necessary things, things that you can take direct action on immediately, you know, make that change happen. And so, uh, you know, we can come back to that next box alarm a little stronger. I wrote that one down, uh, Josh, the facts, not feelings. I, I've heard of facts before acts, but, you know, it's, I like the facts, <laughs> you know, facts, not feelings. So. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that could be a new sticker. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> believe me, it could be a new hashtag, believe me. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, Chief, I mean, you know, you had great companies, but, I mean, you've had to have a soup sandwich of a fire occasionally. Yeah, so looking at that a couple of ways. If I'm new into a battalion, like, you know, the first few months, and I go to one of those, um, I guess back to back to what Josh said about, you know, putting the work in on the front end, the the chief is really only as good as the company officers. It's just like the computer. I mean, if you're putting junk in the computer, the computer's no good. And so um I have to set the expectations, the tone, provide the environment, the resources to train to the way we want to do things. And if I haven't had time to do that, then I kind of look at it as an organizational issue that I've got to tackle and I got to build a training plan and it's going to take time to fix. If, um, if I've been there a couple of years and I feel like we've got it going and, and it, and it all of a sudden is a soup sandwich, then I always looked at it as, as it was on me because I obviously didn't do something to prepare the guys for that situation. And we didn't, we didn't drill enough in that area. And even though the policies were there, 
my intentions were there somewhere. I must have missed the ball. So I got to find out where the miscommunication was. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily beat everybody up on that. I took that as that was, that was my failure. Uh, if they can't, if they weren't all working together after, you know, after a year or two being in the assignment, but uh, just a different approach to, it kind of depends on what your situation is, but back to finding out the root cause, the cause and effect. There are some times where you just have such limited information and it's a, a low frequency type event. Maybe it's a commercial fire versus a residential fire. And your guys kind of go into that automatic residential tactics, you know, two inch and three quarters on a 400 by 600 warehouse with heavy flame showing. They do the same thing. So those issues can be corrected and they're done out of habit, but um, yeah, don't always look at the guys for the problem. Look at yourself as the, as the leader and the chief. Hey, made me lose my thought there for a second there, chief. But, uh, okay. I got it back now. So, so we all, we all, you know, obviously Atlanta is a big city, you know, Josh has a, you know, a sprawling County, that he is, uh, you know, an officer in, and Sammy's, you know, the city of Wichita, and obviously the surrounding community that protects a, a pretty wide area. So, I mean, what are our thoughts on how do we get, you know, so we, so you know, Sammy's shift, uh, you know, or, or my shifts or Josh's, A, B, or C, you know, group one, two, or three, you know, group one has a fire on Monday, and you know, maybe it's been a while, and we're gonna have. You know, so every kitchen table, let's say most good fire companies at every kitchen table, when group two comes in, group one, I had a fire and this is what I heard. You know, this is this happened, that happened. Um, you know, this company did this, this company did that. And so I think, you know, part of, you know, my thought process here is how do we how do we get this information that group one had this experience? So group, group one had this fire, whether it be a, a unique fire or routine fire. Or, you know, it's, you know, a fire with multiple rescues and fire traveling up, you know, void spaces, blah, 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 is that, you know, how do we get all these critique points that we're, we're trying to get these seven company officers say, hey, you know, here's a critique point one, critique point two, you know, for this particular fireman, but then we're just sharing it with seven people, um, you know, and those seven company officers are going to work with their seven fire, you know, seven companies of firefighters to correct any of those issues. Um, where is it and how do we get that you know I, I'm trying to see I know I think I know the importance of getting that information out to everybody um, is that you know so group two group three group four or shifts b c and d you know understand hey we had this fire we had this miscue you know this is something we probably need to work on so I mean is there any validity to that Josh or I mean you know yeah, I like it. Um, we actually kind of had a little bit of a situation this morning where there was a little bit of like, hey, I heard this is what happened. Uh, this just this morning when I came in and they weren't completely incorrect. But then we went to the ground zero person. We went to, all right, straight from the horse's mouth, tell us what was up. And the story changed a little bit. And then we, but we, we just got the facts. So I think it's important and imperative that we get to the root people who can get the good message out. Um, cause fire department, I mean, we're so good at, you know, taking, you know, a grain of salt and making it a, uh, a salt mill by the end of it, but go to ground zero, get that message out quick. And like the chief said, if we 
have that confirmation or hindsight bias, you know, after action reports and taking more than 72 hours may be too long. So the shift transition with the company officers, I think in the morning can be super important as long as you're talking to the actual people. Um, if you are collecting after action reports, copy and paste them, get them out within 72 hours, you know, get them out. So you see straight from the horse's mouth and you're not getting that confirmation bias. Um, and you know, maybe this is a little too 2023 of me, but, um, we actually had a chief officer and there's many iterations of this, um, that would do a quick YouTube video. He would actually record himself, post it, and then send it through the department email. And so it got everybody within, you know, a day and everybody can check their email, pull up a three minute YouTube video. Hey, this is what happened. This is what you need to know. Questions come back to me. And it was a instantaneous way to reach everybody in the department. Um, so like I said, through social media, phones and everything, you know, maybe that's an opportunity there also that we maybe we're not utilizing very well. But um, I agree with the chief. You know, the longer we drag this out, the more fires you're going to run around, the more mistakes that may happen because you were lacking the information and not learning through somebody else's experience. Sammy, as much as you guys have been going to work in uh, Wichita, what's your take on all that? Uh, I'm not trying to deflect work here, but I think it uh, comes down to the incident commander to identify big issues um, and take it up the chain of command with uh, their peers themselves. Uh, I think that uh, you're at risk of parent deafness. I mean, if it's a company level mistake, uh, the whole department doesn't need to um, be hammered with that. But uh, I think in my opinion, I think we need to ask um, four basic questions um, as to whether it goes up. Uh, was it an educational deficiency as far as um, organizational training um, or ideology? Um, was it a uh, deficiency in tools or equipment? Or was it a deployment model deficiency that uh, led, to, led to our problems? And then the fourth thing is, is there something worth sharing? And that's where you can create a video. Uh, give you an example. Uh, we had a, uh, a theme park that caught fire and one of our trucks had trouble getting positioned. So they had to go around an entire city block to come in from a different direction. So one of the things we did is we went down and we uh, moved a Jersey barrier with a halligan, a hook and a rock. And then showed them how you can use the roof hook to measure the width of something to see if your truck can go through. So that's something positive that can be passed on to the department. So basically you moved a Jersey bear by yourself. Is that what you're uh, telling us? Uh, two guys, yeah. <laughs> we used to have a class at FDIC that taught that moving heavy objects for no apparent reason. <laughs> it was just Sammy and bare feet in his head against the Jersey wall, just, just pushing against it. <laughs> so. Can't you see him though? Like the scarecrow and wizard of Oz, the square root of an isosceles triangle is. <laughs> but I guess I, um, as we kind of, you know, we got we got a couple minutes left here. It's just uh, so I, mean, I like Sammy's thought, and I definitely I like I, Josh's. I definitely wrote down because, I mean, that would certainly stop a lot of the uh, the false things that get said about a fire. It's it's amazing. Um, I, I in our after action reports, so I GoPro everything. Um, if 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 I happen to get there first, and and I, and I'm the incident commander, I GoPro. From the minute I get there, you know, probably to 30 or 40 minutes into the fire, um, 
and then you know take that video have it approved by the operations chief and then we'll we'll take that and then give it a qr code and then we'll send that out to people so people can see you know hey this is the fire we had this is why you know that crew had to back out of here this is you know a they're making a great a great ladder grab whatever it is i mean it shows exactly what what was going on there rather than the hearsay and you know i hear they didn't have much fire and yeah the wind wasn't having that much effect on the fire well you know when the wind's blowing from the rear and fire's blowing out of like five windows in the front you know and the crew's trying to go in there it it, it resets it a little bit because sometimes radio traffic doesn't match up with what's actually happening on the fire ground so but all good stuff but i mean aars are um uh are uh i'm sorry uh pete's sending us a message that I guess the fire in Buffalo is uh, things are not looking good. So um, hopefully uh, everything comes out there. So there's a, there's a big fire in Buffalo and they have an unaccounted firefighter um, in Buffalo. So um, hopefully uh, that comes to a good resolution rather than a bad resolution. So, but, so, you know, getting back to that critique point is that, you know, that I, with Sammy, you know, I agree with what Sammy says and I agree with Josh says, I, I just feel like we got to get the information out. Uh, I don't even need to say what company it is or anything like that. Is that, hey, we had this fire. It was, it was challenging or unchallenging. Look, none of us, especially in this group and a lot of fire departments, you know, one room and two room fires should should not challenge any of our fire departments. I mean, that this should be, this should be pretty good for us. You know, if you have good disciplined company officers and, you know, company officers that are competent and know their job and have their firefighters trained well, and just like you know somebody said before, you know it. An incident commander is only as good as those six or seven company officers. I mean, I'm I'm not I sit in the car and and say they're all going to do everything right and we're going to follow the policy or SOP and everything's going to get better in a couple of minutes because I have good company officers, you know. So that that's a crucial point um, to make sure. But you know, if we have those missteps, I think everybody kind of needs to know we had them and what you know what either we're doing something to correct it or hey, we're not going to make that mistake again. So. Um, just Chief, like the, you got anything you're adding? Just like the incident command system, the the after action is scalable. Like uh, like Sammy said, if it's a little company mistake, a guy had some issues getting his mask on or whatever, that's that's handled at the company battalion level. Um, if you have an injury or 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 a near miss or heaven forbid a line of duty death, obviously you scale that up. And it's going to become a bigger production. Um, some examples of that uh, that I saw during my career, we had the Stephen Solomon um, incident where we had a line of duty death. And uh, Chief Rubin was our chief at the time. And to his credit, I mean, we did all the interdepartmental review. We had outside agency investigate. And we had the city keep that structure for months and we opened it up. We rotated every single Atlanta unit through there for a class and a walkthrough of the building. And we opened it up regionally so other departments could come. And so this was like an eight-month operation of training. So when you have something that is of that magnitude, then you need to increase the resources and time that you spend on the, on the after-action uh, training and, and report and all. On the short end, like a battalion issue, we did have a a, uh, a boilerplate form of, like Sam said, is four questions. We had like five or six different things that we wanted you to fill in. 
that was in addition to the incident report to give everybody some perspective. And uh, if you have resources and training, that's a good that's a good unit to put in place is like a unit to like coordinate that stuff and put it together in packages. Um, believe it or not, as crazy as Atlanta was in like 1993, we actually had a truck with two camera guys on it that were firefighters that was decked out like a news truck and they responded to every fire and filmed. And we took all of this before GoPros and before helmet cams and all that. And uh, we were getting a lot of documentation on, on things. And that unit ran out of, the, it was staffed 24 hours a day, but it was assigned to training. And uh, of course, you know, new administration came, budget cuts. It ended up sitting out in the parking lot and fading away with, with you know, $100,000 worth of satellite equipment and stuff on. But uh, one of the reasons it got shut down was fear that we would be sued if we filmed something that was wrong. <laughs> but uh, now nowadays, it's like, man, I would, I would encourage guys with the helmet cams and all of that stuff but have a system to collect it so it can be used, not just posted on social media for, for hype purposes. Uh, establish a program and encourage guys to submit that stuff so that you can use it. But it takes bandwidth and it takes resources to, to put it together. At the lowest end, the company officer coming on duty has to have the curiosity to ask, hey, smells like y'all had a fire last night, how'd it go? And then when they tell them, no matter what, as soon as breakfast is over, let's get in the rig and let's go look at it. And you just can't beat that level of training. You know, maybe something happened. Maybe it didn't. If, if they don't give you any report, you can at least go look at it and say, how would we do it? You know, and, and that is that's better than any simulation you can you can run on a computer is to get out there. And, you know, if you can. Maybe you maybe you stretch a line and you know if it's a vacant house or something and nothing happened, maybe you can get a little training in on that day on the burned out shell. Not trying to get anybody in trouble. There's policies against it in some places. Maybe <laughs> you're doing a lot of not down there. Sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness. Oh, we didn't know. No, I, I just uh, I completely agree with the chief. Um, go go take a look at them and and call them up. Like hey. What happened here? Um, why did you guys, uh, why'd you guys decide to do this? Um, and then kind of what uh, Josh was saying too, you know, when you talk to the horse themselves, um, my guys know that if they ask a question, I will call the person directly. Um, and if somebody is saying something that doesn't line up, go, nah, that's not what I, it's not the way I understood it. Let's call them. And it's funny. Then people are like, oh, well, you know, hey, that's just what I heard. Well, a second ago, you were absolute about it. Um, so, uh, talking to the horse, uh, is a good thing, but, um, as we close, I, I do want to make one point. I, I think that honesty goes both ways. Um, I think when you can be honest and admit your mistakes, uh, you're honest with your crew and say, Hey, you, uh, you messed up. Um, when you tell them they did something good, if they know that you're going to be honest with them, then they can take that to heart. It's, they don't take it as, oh, he read in this leadership book that he's supposed to say something nice to me every day. Yeah. Um, so I can say, at least for the guys I work with, they know that if they mess up, I'll tell them. And they know that when I tell them they did a good job, I'm being sincere because I'm honest.
Yeah, I get a lot of my critique points from watching Sam's helmet cam videos. Um, I get I learn a lot about uh, what needs to be done in fires because Sam's usually critiquing you as the fire is going on. So, you know, it's it, they're rather interesting. I, I don't think they're publishable in you by YouTube standards. Um, but they are they are very good training aids. I just sure. always get confused because all I can see is like the guy's name tag in front of me. <laughs> It's like some issue with the tripod height or something. <laughs> Josh, we got a couple minutes here. You got anything you want to wrap up with? No, I think Sam hit, it, hit the nail on the head. I love it. Appreciate the opportunity as always. Thanks for having me. It's a good discussion. Yep. And then the, the last thing, and I'm sure I'll let Chief uh, Rose chime in, is that, so, you know, we, I really wanted to kind of focus on uh, Sam and Josh as company officers um, and, you know, even as a command officer, and I think Josh mentioned it earlier, you know, is getting that honest feedback is that, you know, look, I, I, there's a, an assistant chief that I talk to like uh, on a daily basis, and him and I do not have, I, we're remotely can agree on things, um, but he's just, it's a different mindset that he has and analytical and he, he just can't let things go. And that's the first guy I call once I get done a fire you know, all right, man, hit me, hit me with it. You know, tell me, tell me what I did wrong. Tell me what I said wrong on the radio. What, what, you know, what did I do wrong? And, you know, and, and the guy is, will just wear me out. You know, and I, I consider this guy my friend some days, but you know, I'm hanging the phone up. I'm like, man, uh, did he really have to be that hard on me? You know, did he really have to tell me everything? <laughs> tell me that I had the wrong shirt on or, you know, I had the, whatever it was, but I mean that, you know, having that good, honest feedback, like Josh said, that is, that's the only way anybody's going to get better. Uh, you know, glossed over mistakes, glossed over stuff like that is not going to help uh, any company officer or chief officer. And all it's going to do is create a culture in the fire department in that fire department to that mistakes are not corrected and we're not going to do anything to change. And that's just going to lead to a tragedy. So um, chief Rhodes. Yeah, I think it's important as the chief at any level with any type of incident uh, after action report is to just open the forum up and moderate and don't give any uh, insight or opinions on the front end because with any position of authority, as soon as you say what you're going to say, then people have a tendency to just agree with you and bobble their head or, or they won't contribute because you've already said they, they're like, Oh, well, he already knows what he thinks and, and I'm done. So sometimes it's better to reserve your, your critique, your final summary and, and kind of after action plan until the very end. And so it's, and, and you can't just do that overnight. You got to build the trust with the companies every day and, and have the relationship to do that. But um, if they trust you, then they're going to be honest and give you opinion. And then you can critique it at the end. Don't, don't give your position out in the beginning and taint the whole process. All right. Well, we're all straight up two o'clock here, Eastern standard time. So I'm, I'm sure uh, Pete's back there uh, watching us watching his uh, clock right now telling us to get off the get off the air but i want to thank josh uh, for taking time out of your day uh as always a very unique perspective um, from uh, a trusted voice that i have there and josh and uh sam i don't know what words to say about you so 
He's but, on uh, fire. <laughs> We're out of time, Chief Rose. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, our, our new director at FDIC and Fire Engineering, Chief Rose, thanks for being on. And yes, um, we all can't wait to get out there in April. And I hope everybody, uh, hope your hand gets worn out from people wanting to shake it. And welcome <laughs> the new commander in chief there. You know, uh, we're all very excited. If you haven't signed up, sign up. Early bird ends like the first week of March, uh, I think March 10th. So get signed up and we hope to see you there. All right. So Pete, uh, from all of us at Traditions Training, and once again, thank you to Fire Engineering, uh, Chief Rhodes, and the Clarion Events Group for allowing us to do this, uh, you know, hump day hangout. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you all at FDIC. Thank you. Thank you, guys.